Three Strands is growing, and our ministries are doing big things for Jesus. If you're looking for a way to get plugged into what we're doing, visit us at threestrands.church. So uh, we're finishing up this series today called Out of Your Mind, dealing with all the battles we face in our heads, the battles against depression and anxiety and discouragement, the battles against fear and worry and loneliness, the ones we just can't seem to kick. And each week of the series, we've been kind of tackling a different piece of this puzzle, how you can do battle once you leave this room, how you can um, go to war against these struggles you got in your mind and how you can overcome them and beat them. And so today's no different. I hope you'll um, not just be encouraged by what we read in God's Word, but you'll be challenged by it. And you'll go out of here and put into practice what God, through His Son, Jesus, who came to earth, is teaching us in this story. So if you want to follow along, we'll be in John chapter 5 the whole time today. John chapter 5. I want to read you one verse uh, from what we're going to look at today. And then we'll um, go through the whole story. But the verse is John chapter 5, verse 7. It's a story about Jesus, a paralyzed man, and a bunch of superstition, okay? So the paralyzed man is talking to Jesus in John chapter 5, verse 7. This is what he says. Sir, the invalid replied, I have no, I have no one to help me. I have no one to help me into the pool when the water is stirred. While I am trying, while I'm trying to get in, someone else goes down ahead of me. I want to read it for you just one more time. You ready? Let it sink in, okay? It's going to be kind of our key text of the day. Sir, the invalid replied, I have no one to help me into the pool when the water is stirred. When I am trying to get in, someone else goes down ahead of me. All right, if you look at this verse, and you were being honest, you'd have to say that the invalid or the paralyzed man, I know that may not be like socially correct, the handicapped guy, whatever, but back then they just treated those people like they weren't even real people, okay? And so um, the invalid or the paralyzed man, the crippled man, he was trying, wasn't he? I mean, if you're honest about what the verse says, he was putting in some effort, wasn't he? He was trying, but it just never seemed to work out. He, ca- he said, hey, I'm trying, but every time I try, somebody else beats me to the punch. Every time I give it some effort, I seem to come up short. Maybe that's you today. Maybe you feel like, I'm trying. I'm trying to win the war. I'm trying to defeat the things that are battling in my mind. But every time I try, it seems like I fail. That's this guy, right? He's putting in some effort. He's trying. He's trying to do as good a job as he can, but not seeming to make any progress. It reminds me of me this week. All right, so at our house this week, I had to, I want you to know I'm an inside dog, okay? So God didn't really make me to be in the outdoors, which is just more reason to know that, like, God definitely had me here to be a pastor. Because if you don't love the outdoors, this isn't necessarily your place to live. But so, but at my house this week, I had to dig a, 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 a post hole, right? We were putting up a mailbox. And because we got, like, threatened by the post office to put up a mailbox, so... We haven't had one for eight years. It's time. But um, so we were, I was digging a post hole to put up a mailbox, and I learned something about McCreary County, at least the property we live on. There's actually only eight inches of dirt in this whole county. And then it's all like stuff from Mars because it's like red clay and sandstone everywhere else. So I started digging this post hole this week, and I thought I got exactly what I need for the job. I've dug post holes before. This is nothing new. We've done decks. We've done all kinds of stuff, you know. 
And I thought, I can do this. So I go outside with my shovel and my post hole digger. I mean, doesn't it seem like to dig a post hole, you need a post hole digger, right? And I had that. I'm like, I got the tools. I'm ready to go. So I go out and I start digging the hole and I'm good for eight inches. And then I hit the red rock from Mars. And that, it must be red rock the whole way to China because I never got past the red rock, all right? And so I'm trying to dig, and the shovel and the post hole digger are not making a dent, not scratching any rock off the surface. And I'm thinking before I go out, I got about a 20-minute job ahead of me. Well, I'm an hour and a half in. I'm like, this is not good. I'm dripping with sweat. The neighbors are laughing at me through the windows. I'm like, this is not going according to plan. But I can promise you one thing. I was trying, right? But if somebody had come along and looked at my hole and compared it to how sweaty my shirt was and compared it to how many blisters were starting to form in my hand, because I don't do stuff like that all the time, Michael, so sensitive, okay? If they had compared that hole to what I looked like in that moment, they would have thought, that guy, he's not even trying. What's going on? Like, he must be really out of shape. And they'd be right about that. So finally, I called some friends. One of them brought me like a toothpick piece of metal that didn't work either. I'm not going to say who that was. Come over. <laughs> and then finally, a friend brought me like what I really needed, a spud bar. I don't know if that's what you call it. That's what I call it. I don't know. And so I started hammering away at the rock. It's like this six-foot piece of steel, and you can just like wail away at rock and bust it up, you know, and Took me about another hour to get it. So I was about two and a half, three hours in to this 20-minute job. That's about standard operating procedure for me. And uh, finally, I get the hole dug. And at the end, I just looked at it like, man, that was way harder than I thought it'd be. And I actually did it over two days. So it took me two days. I, I couldn't go three straight hours of work. You know, you know what I'm talking about. But I actually had to wait for the bars, really why. But, but if you'd have looked at that, I'm just telling you, like, I promise you I was trying. But I wasn't getting anywhere. That's exactly how life can feel most of the time. You keep trying and trying, but you're not making any headway. So you're in the right place today because the title of the sermon today is this. You ready? Trust me, I'm trying. Trust me, I'm trying. You could, if you're married, husbands, you might want to like look at your wife right now and just be like, honey, trust me. I know sometimes it doesn't look like it, but I'm really trying. I'm really trying to be a good man. I'm really trying to be a good dad, good husband, like... I'm trying. I trust me, I'm trying. And I believe that most of the people in our room right now, and anybody that's listening to our podcast who's not here today because we got some families out of town for Memorial Day weekend and all that, but I promise that I believe this. I really believe that you guys, for the most part, are trying. Like you're trying to do the right thing. You're trying to be in the right places and become the right people. I really believe that. But so often it can feel like you're trying, but it's just not working out. And that's frustrating and discouraging. And I understand. If I come in here one Sunday and you're sitting here and I preach real bad, and that probably happens a lot, usually because you're like, you were up too late and didn't eat enough this morning or something. No, I'm just kidding. It's probably because of me. But if you come in here and the preaching's real bad, and you go out of here and you're like, I don't even know what that guy said. I can promise you I'm trying. I can promise you I'm giving it all I got. I'm putting effort in. Sometimes it feels like when you go home on a Sunday, and Kenny will tell you the same thing, it feels like you've put in all the efforts you can put in all week, and you come here and you try to give it all you got on a Sunday morning, but you still go home and you feel like, man, I really tried, but it just felt like it was going nowhere today. 
And you look down, and you're like, everybody's eyes were like glazing over, you know. And three people spilled stuff on the floor, and we're mopping it up. And just look, people kept walking in and out. Like, didn't even feel like anybody was listening. And you feel like, I tried to give it all I got, but it just didn't seem to land. And I can promise you, for me at least, in those moments, I'm giving it all I got. And I think most of you are the same way. I think most of the time you're giving it what you got. You're trying as hard as you can, but it just feels like you're not making any headway, just like this guy in the story. You're not paralyzed. Your battle might be in your mind. It might be at your job. It might be in your family. But still, just as true that you're trying. Trust me, I'm trying. Let's look at the story in verse 1. It says, Afterward, Jesus returned to Jerusalem for one of the Jewish holy days. This was like a holiday in Israel. Inside the city near the Sheep Gate was the Pool of Bethesda with five covered porches. Okay, now see the scene, right? There's this big pool of water, and they got it surrounded on all four sides with like a porch, right? The porch is being held up with like Roman-looking columns. And right down the middle, there's like a fifth porch. It kind of separates it into two bodies of water. So you got these two pools. It's like the kiddie pool and the adult pool or something, you know. And there's like these five porches. So you got the four sides covered and the fifth one right down the middle. And all these people are laying there. Look at verse 3. Crowds of sick people, blind, lame, or paralyzed, lay on the porches. Can you see the scene? All these people laying around under these covered, these roofs, right beside the pools, right beside the pool of Bethesda. Now, this isn't like a vacation spot or a place like where the public would go swimming. This would be more representative like a hospital. They, they thought of this as like, a, uh, like a, a hospital for sick people to go to. Now, it was rooted. It wasn't like a hospital rooted in medicine and science. It was like a hospital rooted in superstition, right? And so they believed that at certain times of the year, an angel would come down and stir up the water in these pools. And, and anybody who was sick or handicapped or had some kind of infirmity, if they could be the first ones into the water after the angel stirred up the waters, then they would be healed of whatever was wrong with them. They believed that. Now, whether or not that was true or not, who knows? I, I don't know. But they believed that. And so these porches, these roof-covered spots, patios, where they were right beside the pool, they became the spot where all these sick and handicapped people would come and just hang out because they wanted to be as close as they could for whenever the waters got stirred up. They'd try to get in the water as quick as they can to get healed at that time. Now think about that scene for a second, and wouldn't you say that there's an advantage to having certain infirmities over others in that moment? Like if you're laying there, say there's a hundred handicapped and sick people laying by the pool waiting to be the first ones in when the water gets stirred so that they can get healed, wouldn't you rather be, like it says here, there was like the blind and the lame and the, and the paralyzed, wouldn't you rather be the blind guy than the paralyzed guy? Because like at least if you're the blind guy, you could kind of like feel your way to the water and be real clear. You know? But if you're the paralyzed guy, you're relying on somebody else to actually get you into the water when that happens, right? Think about that for a second. So there's like, picture that scene and the advantages that would come with one sickness or another. And so this guy we're going to talk about in the story is paralyzed. Now let me read you about him. He comes up in verse 5. You ready? One who was there had been an invalid or been crippled or paralyzed 
for 38 years. Now, 38 years is a long time by any stretch. And there's people all over our room that know what it's like to deal with infirmity for a long stretch of time, to be sick, to have, have trouble seeing, to have trouble with your kidneys, to have problem with cancer. To have, we got people all over our space here that know what that feels like. And sometimes you can have an infirmity for a year. and It can feel like a decade, right? Donna, sometimes you can be rehabbing for a month and it can feel like it's been going on for 10 years. Is that true? That's true, right? You can go to the physical therapist one time and feel like you've just been at war for five years. And this guy literally has been a paralyzed, invalid, crippled man for 38 years. And then beyond that, you have to keep in mind that at that time, in this area of the world, the average life expectancy was 30 years. And this guy's been paralyzed for 38. In other words, what I'm saying is there's a good chance that this guy's been laying there longer than anybody else. There's a good chance he's in worse shape than anybody else. There's a good chance that he's been dealing with his infirmity for the longest, and it's one of the worst, hardest ones to actually get to the water with. And here he lays, 38 years he's been paralyzed, and Jesus is going to come along in verse 6. When Jesus saw him and knew that he had been ill for a long time, he asked him, would you like to get well? Would you like to get well? 38 years, I would think so. But Jesus asked him, would you like to get well? Jesus handpicked someone who was probably in the worst shape, who had probably been that way the longest, who is probably suffering the most, and he pays attention to him. He picks someone who had lost all hope of even getting better. And sometimes that's how we are. I feel like there's things I've been struggling with for 38 years, and I can't seem to kick them. Can't seem to get them out of here. I think sometimes of things I did or relationships I had or wrong choices I made back when I was 10, 12, 14, 16. And those things are still right there. And I still think about them sometimes. Sometimes they still wake me up or enter into my dreams. Sometimes I'm discouraged and I think back to something I did 20, 30 years ago. You can't seem to get it out of there. And Jesus picks a guy like that who had lost all hope. That's just how we can be. And sometimes you've gone on for so long the way you are. You've struggled with what you're struggling with for so long. You stop even being able to recognize what help looks like, even if it's standing right in front of you. That's this guy. And I get it. You've tried. I I've tried. Like, I get it. We've tried and seemed to come up short so many times. We just want to give up. But every time you try to fix something externally without trying to fix what's wrong internally first, you'll eventually relapse. You'll eventually explode. You'll eventually quit and give up. That's what happened with this guy. If I could just get to the water, if I could just get in the pool, he's trying to fix what's wrong on the outside, but he never addressed what was wrong on the inside. I'm going to show you in just a second. 
But don't we do that same thing? I, I kind of made this deal with myself one time. I was like, you know what? I'm going to complain less. I was complaining too much. Obviously, it didn't take, right? I'm always complaining, it feels like. But I was like, I'm going to complain less. So here's what I decided to do. I was like, I'm just going to set a small goal. I'm not going to complain one time for a week. That's what I said. I'm just going to go one week without complaining. No matter what happens, I don't care if somebody stabs me, somebody punches me in the face. I'm just not going to complain no matter what the customer's like that comes to the door, I'm just, I'm just not going to complain. And if you've had some of the jobs I've had, you know that those are some hard customers to work with, right? So customer comes to me, I'm not even going to let that bother me. It's not going to complain. Here's what happened. Maybe you already know what happened. But I'm going to tell you what happened just in case you don't, right? So that was all good on Monday. I crushed it. Tuesday, I didn't say anything, but I started to feel a little frustrated, right? Wednesday, I started to get angry. By Thursday, I was starting to boil over at people. Now, I still held it in, but by the weekend, I was taking it out of my family. Like, I was angry about everything. What happened was I was trying to hold in all the complaining and all the frustrating so that I wouldn't let it out, right? I was trying to fix the external problem without addressing the real issue on the inside, the internal issue, and by the end of the week, I just exploded on everyone. Because I had done just what this guy's doing. I would given all my effort and energy and trying to fixing the external problem. This is how people approach all kinds of struggles and battles in their mind. I'll just stop doing that behavior. I'll just put up enough barriers to keep me from doing it. And eventually they just blow up. They relapse. This is why the alcoholic, the drug addict, the porn addict, the overeater, the, the whatever the struggle is you've got the explosive temper, whatever it is. When they're like, I got this. I'll do it on my own. I can just tough my way through it. No, you won't. You're on the road to relapse. I used to tell guys in recovery all the time, be like, that is called the road to relapse. When I got this on my own and I'm all good. But isn't that how we try to do it? Stephanie and I have been trying to do a new eating plan. Oh, it is awful. I mean, it's awful. I mean, I don't even look forward to eating anymore. Like it's like eating's like a, it's like a pain now. I don't like it. And I don't know how long it's going to last. We've made it three days so far. No, how long has it been? Five days maybe? Oh, it is the worst. And so we've built into our eating plan that we're not going to follow it whenever like we have company over or if we're like doing a life group or something like that. Because we don't want to go to life group and then like refuse to eat something somebody made or something like that. So we're made some like flexibility in the plan, right? So a few times a week when we're out to eat with people or, or we're at life group or something like that, we just kind of eat whatever. And those are, oh, anybody wants to go out to eat, we're, we're game. Like we'll schedule you in because I need to go out to eat seven days a week now because I can't make it on these days we don't have life group or somebody to eat with. It's just rough, you know? And so uh, I feel a little better, but man, it's not enjoyable to eat anymore. But isn't that what it's like when you're like trying to do a diet or counting your carbs or counting your calories or trying to change your eating style? Like you can put in all the effort you want, but don't somehow you always seem to relapse? Why is that? Because if we're trying with all of our energy and might to change all the external problems without first addressing the internal reasons why I'm doing the things I'm doing, we're going to relapse. We're going to explode. We're going to fail. We're going to give up. And that's exactly what happened to this guy. Now, some people have preached this passage. Can you flash that verse back up? Verse, uh, I don't know where it was. Verse 6. Can you flash verse 6 back up there a second? 
Some people have preached this passage where Jesus asks the guy a question, would you like to get well? Some translations will say, do you want to get well? Do you want to be healed? Jesus asked this guy, would you like to get well? And some preachers have preached this passage like, like Jesus was saying to the guy like, hey man, you've been sick for 38 years. Don't you even want to get better? Are you even trying? But is that really God's heart for us? Is he taunting us? Is he looking at us and being like, hey man, I see you're all screwed up. Don't you even want to get better? Like, why don't you just try a little bit? Is that what God's saying to us from heaven? Doesn't sound like God's heart. That's not really what Jesus is asking when he says, would you like to get well? So what's he asking? What's he really asking this guy in this question? I'm going to give it to you today. It's kind of two parts of it. Here's what Jesus, here's why Jesus was asking them this question. You ready? Because before Jesus could help him walk, he had to help him want. The guy had lost all of his want. He, he had lost all of his hope that things would ever be any different. I don't know if you noticed this or not from the verse, the verse I read earlier, but the guy doesn't even answer Jesus' question. Jesus is like, do you really want to get well? Do you want to be healed? And maybe when you've been sick for so long, sickness just becomes your new normal. Maybe when you've been bad at relationships for so long, that just becomes your new normal. And you just conclude, I'll just always be this way. And other people see you. They start to label you those things. And they look at you and they think, doesn't that person even realize what they look like? What they sound like? How everybody else thinks of them? Doesn't every, don't they realize, aren't they even trying? And maybe you are trying. Maybe you are trying. I believe you're trying. Maybe you are trying and you're just sick and tired of failing. And so you've lost all your want. Look back at what Jesus, what the guy said to Jesus. He doesn't even answer the question. Look at verse 7 again. Sir, the invalid replied, I have no one to help me into the pool when the water is stirred. When I am trying to get in, someone else goes down ahead of me. Would you like to get, would you like to get healed? Would you like to be well? He didn't even answer. That's a yes or no question. Do, do you want to get better? Yes or no? Uh, you don't understand. I, every time I've tried, there's nobody to help me. And, then, and even when somebody does help me, I, I can't even, I can't get there first. He starts listing all the reasons why it's impossible to get well. When Jesus is just asking them, do you want to be well? Yes or no? He starts listing all the reasons why he's tried and failed and why no possible effort in the future could ever solve the problem. But Jesus isn't asking him to try harder. He isn't taunting him and saying, why aren't you trying harder? Come on, dude, crawl to the water. He's not saying that. He's saying, will you trust me? Not will you try, will you trust? You don't need to try harder. You need to trust more. Do you want to get well? Think about this guy for a second. How many people in 38 years do you think took advantage of this guy? How many snake oil salesmen were like, hey, man, give me some of that cash people have been throwing in your hat. And if you do, I'll give you this magic elixir that will make you walk again. Oh, he tries it. That didn't work. How many people you think like, hey, man, I'll help you get into the pool when the water stirs. Just give me half the cash up front. And when the angel comes down, I'll push it. And then they leave with half the cash. How many times... You think he's tried some formula, some elixir, some method, some approach, some plea for help 
to get into the water, to get cured, to walk again, only to be taken advantage of. Now here comes this guy he doesn't know. And you know from the rest of the chapter he doesn't know who he is because he gets asked later who did it, and he's like, I don't even know who did it. Some guy just healed me. And he doesn't know who it is. And here comes this guy. Hey, man, I got the answer. Would you like to get better? And he's probably thinking, I've heard this before. Let me just tell this guy all the reasons why I can't get better. I can't, it's not going to work. I've tried it all. He doesn't even answer the question. Why? Because he can't trust. All of his want to to trust is gone. And he's left with nothing but cynicism, hopelessness, discouragement. And Jesus is simply saying to him, I need you to trust me, not try harder. I need you to trust me. Jesus is asking him this question, do you trust me? That's really what he's asking when he says, would you like to get well? Sometimes trying gets in the way of our trusting. We just keep thinking if we could do better, if we could work harder, if we could put up more barriers in our life, if we could get around different people, if we could, all these things we list in our head, if I can just clench my fist, if I can just stay away from that area, if I can just get a new job, if I could just do this, this, and this, then everything will be all right. Now, finally overcome, but it never seems to get us anywhere. See, this man, he got up because he had been healed. But you keep thinking you'll be healed if you can get up. We keep getting it backwards. It's like you're saying to Jesus, trust me, Jesus, I'm trying. I'm trying. And it's like he's looking back at you and he's saying, so am I. So am I. I'm trying to convince you to stop trying because trying won't ever work. You're never going to get to the water. So I'll bring the water to you. You're never going to make it to the side of the pool. So I'll give you living water. It's been 38 years. And Jesus knows that he's going to have to help this guy want again. Because he doesn't want it right now. He doesn't want it right now. But that wasn't all. Jesus also knew that before he could heal his walk, he'd have to heal his will. And this guy had lost all of his will to be healed. I mean, after enough time of suffering and struggling passes, wouldn't you lose your will too? Maybe you've lost your will today. Maybe because of all the struggling and all the suffering and all the battles you've lost in your mind, maybe you've lost all of your will to be kind to anybody, to forgive anyone. You can't even find the strength to persevere or push through anything anymore because you've lost all your will. You're content just to hide at home, binge eat, binge watch, be by yourself, never experience a full life because you've been beaten so many times and you're sick of just laying there, getting your hopes up only to have them crash. And you've given up all your will. That's this guy. And I know you're trying but trying won't help. Trusting will. Do you guys get it yet? There are some things in life that you will never be able to receive by trying. You'll only be able to receive them by trusting. This is what Jesus is saying. This is the whole of Christianity. This is everything Jesus came to offer us. You can't earn any of it. 
You can't try hard enough to get there. You'll never make it to the pool on your own. You can only get this stuff I'm offering by trusting me. Would you like to get well? Would you like to be better? Look at John 5, verse 9. Or verse 8. Did I skip verse 8? I can't remember. Jesus told him, stand up, pick up your mat, and walk. Now think about that for a second. Jesus tells a paralyzed man to get up and start walking. The guy doesn't know him. And it proves that the healing isn't a reward for obedience. And it isn't a reward for great faith. This guy didn't have either of those. Did he? I missed the part where the guy was like, anything you say, Jesus. He didn't say that. He didn't even know Jesus' name. No, the healing was something Jesus did because he wanted to. He wanted to heal this guy, break his system, teach him how to want again, teach him how to have will again, but go beyond that. Look at verse 9. Look how it ends. Instantly, the man was healed. He rolled up his sleeping mat and began walking. But this miracle happened on the Sabbath day. Now that's important because you weren't allowed to do any work on the Sabbath day. And Jesus did work, according to Jewish law, by healing somebody. And as soon as he healed this guy, you read the rest of the chapter on your own today if you want, everybody was ticked off from the rest of the chapter. How dare you work on the Sabbath day? Why did Jesus tell this guy to pick up his mat and take it with him? Because according to Jewish law, as soon as that guy picked up his mat and started walking with it, he was working too. Now they were all mad at him. In fact, they confronted him like, what are you doing? What are you doing walking with that mat on the Sabbath day? The guy was like, I don't know. Some guy healed me. He told me to do it, so I did it. What was Jesus doing? Why does he have him pick up the mat? Because he didn't just want to heal his legs. He wanted to break the whole system of Sabbath. And say to him, Sabbath had become about all these things you can do and can't do. All these rules you have to follow. And you can try as hard as you want. But you're never going to be healed as long as you keep trying. You're never going to know God as long as you keep trying. You're never going to be free as long as you keep trying. I want to break that system. Stop trying and just trust me. Pick up your mat and walk with it. They're going to all tell you you're doing the wrong thing. They're going to all tell you you're working. Don't worry about if they say you're doing the right thing or the wrong thing. Just trust what I'm telling you. Just pick up your mat and walk. And the guy does it. Does it. And Jesus is trying to break and shatter the system of Sabbath. System of effort and trying. That's the point of the whole story. Trust me, I'm trying, Lord. I know. But trying isn't going to make it happen you got to trust. You need a, a whole new system of trusting me instead of trying to be good enough, trying to make all your own decisions. Everybody might get ticked, but that's okay. Remember when I was a kid, there was this pool about a mile from my house, a public pool, prospect pool. And me and all the kids in my neighborhood, we would all walk to there in the summers and go swimming. And... Uh, one time we walked, I was like the youngest kid. There were younger kids in my neighborhood than me, but I was like the youngest kid of the kids that hung out together. There was about 10 of us. We all hung out. We would play sports together. We'd do stuff like this. And so we would, we would walk to Prospect Pool, I don't know, maybe 10, 15 times a summer and go swimming. And we went one day and uh, we were swimming like all day, having a great time. And the pool didn't close until about 6 o'clock. 
Well, like 2.30 or 3, the lifeguards blow the whistle. I tell everybody, get out of the pool. Everybody out of the pool. Which when you're a kid, that just, you know, what's that do? It ticks you off, right? You're ticked off, okay? So we get out of the pool. I'm like, what's going on? I don't know. And they announced that they were closing the pool early that day. Well, that made me even more ticked off. So everybody's drying off, getting ready to leave. And I was like, I'm jumping back in. So I so I told everybody, right? So, so I go jump back into the pool. As soon as I jump into the pool, a lifeguard starts blowing their whistle. And they're like, get out of the pool, get out of the pool. I'm like, I'll get out, just give me a second. You know, I was a jerk. I was a jerk. Okay, so. And the lifeguard was like, no, get out of the pool now. We just shocked the pool. I didn't even know what that meant. I didn't know what that meant. I thought maybe they, like stuck wa- electrical wires in it or something. I don't know what they meant, you know. So I get out of the pool, and I'm like, it's like, it's like uh, um, now the water's not, like, dripping off me. Now it's, like, you know, kind of like gel rolling off me because it's, like, all bleach, you know. So it's like a pool of bleach. So just in case you're not quite familiar, like, shocking the pool is what you do to really clean it, right, when it really gets dirty. So I don't want to go into a lot of detail. Just suffice it to say they had to shock the pool. As you can imagine what happens at a public pool, right, and some people had, you know, there were some living organisms in that pool at that point, some bacteria that needed to be addressed. Is that a good enough way to say it? Okay, so they had shocked the pool, so they needed everybody to get out and quit. But man, I thought about that, that this week, and I thought like, man, that's exactly what Jesus does for this guy. He can't get to the water on his own, so Jesus comes to him with living water to shock the water. Be like, I'm going to clean up the water. I'm going to give you better water. I'm going to treat it. I'm going to get rid of all the gunk and dirt that's in it and give you brand new, pure, fresh, living water. Maybe that's exactly why God's got you here today. Because he needs to shock your water. The water you've been swimming in. It's full of anxiety and depression and discouragement, fear and loneliness and worry. And you've been trying your best long enough. And now it's time just to trust him. Now it's time to try it a different way, a new way, his way. It's time to watch him heal your want, to fix your will, and to help you walk again. I can see you now looking at Jesus and saying to him, trust me, I'm trying. Trust me, I'm trying. And I would want to say back to you today, trust him, stop trying. It's like you pray over and over and you keep saying, trust me, I'm trying. But Jesus is looking back at you today and saying, trust me, I'm trying. He's saying the same thing back to you. He's trying. He's trying to convince you that you are in the right church, that he brought you here today for a reason, that he's surrounding you with the right people, that he's offering you eternal life, that he wants to fill you with hope and bless you with peace and give you a great life. But your efforts to figure everything out on your own and make all your own decisions are blocking his blessings. Stop trying. Start trusting. Do you hear him saying that to you? Stop trying. Trust me. It's like, it's like in my head, okay? It's like in my head, Jesus is real big. So he's like up here, you know, like this. And I'm like, trust me, I'm trying. He's like, trust me, I'm trying. I'm trying. You can't die for yourself, so I died for you. You can't come back to life by yourself, so I rose from the dead for you. You can't live this life with effort, so I'm doing it all for you. Stop trying and start trusting. And as soon as you do, 
As soon as you look at Jesus and you say, you know what, Jesus? No more trying. From now on, I'm just going to trust what you say. I'm just going to trust what you tell me. I'm just going to believe what you say and what you tell me. No more am I going to figure it out on my own. No more am I going to keep spinning my wheels and trying to do it by myself. From now on, trusting you. In that moment, Jesus saves you, transforms you into a brand new person by changing the way you think. In that moment, he makes you a brand new creation. In that moment, he crosses you over from eternal death to eternal life. In that moment, he picks you up and he puts you in the pool you couldn't get to. And he douses you with living water. He says, you don't have to crawl to the pool. You don't have to find somebody to carry you there. I will bring you living water every single day. Trust me, I'm the one trying. Stop trying. Start trusting. If you will do that right now, you don't have to tell me. You don't have to raise your hand. You don't have to come down front. If you will have that conversation with Jesus right now, you will be a brand new person. You'll want to tell somebody, Jesus just rescued me. Jesus just changed me into something brand new. Jesus just freed me and got me out of my own mind. He just took me and delivered me from all the battles I've been losing over and over again. Maybe it's been 38 years. Isn't it time to stop trying and start trusting today? Can I pray with you? Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for always giving us second chances and third chances. God, I pray today that your word would ring true in our hearts. You would give each of us the understanding to know what you're teaching us from your word, the courage to go out here and put it into practice. God, today, would this be the day that somebody here crossed over from death to life and finally decided to follow Jesus and believe what he says, to trust him and not themselves? Man, if you're here today, if you're here today, and you've never decided to trust Jesus. You've always tried to be a good person. You've always tried to figure it out. You've always tried to do the right things and get yourself clean and right and healed. But it just keeps not working. If that's you, today I want to just challenge you where you sit to just in your heart say to Jesus, today Jesus is the day. Today's the day I'm going to stop trying and I'm going to start trusting. And if you do that, he will transform you. He will rescue you. He will free you. He will heal you. You can do that in the next few minutes while we sing this song together. In Jesus' name, amen.